I've had the privilege of being in and around banking for more than 50 years. Lots of changes during that time. We've gone from ledgers to laptops, typewriters to technology. One thing, however, remains the same. Banking is a people business, and I'll be talking with those people that make banking great here on Jack Rats with Modern Bankers. Welcome to Jack Rants with Modern Bankers. It's brought to you every week by RelPro and Vertical IQ. My program features top voices in financial services, bankers, consultants, best-selling authors, and more. The goal here is simple. It's to provide insights, success practices, and to bring new ideas to the table that you can use to maximize your results in 2024. I was introduced to my guest today, Ron Shevlin, nearly 20 years ago when I first read Gonzo Banker. I was intrigued by the title and yet more fascinated by Ron's straightforward rants and practical content. Ron earned a BA in economics from Binghamton University and an MBA from University of Texas in Austin. He spent most of his career in research from Forrester and the Ike Group to his current role at Chief Research Officer at Cornerstone Advisors. In 2015, Ron wrote a best-selling book, Smarter Bank, and we go back to the future around that book today and talk about what's happening now based on what happened then. Look for some key ideas to make 2024 better in your community bank. Check out this interview with Ron Shevlin on Jack Rants with Modern Bankers. Here we go. So as I mentioned in the intro, uh, this is certainly not my first introduction to Ron Shevlin. I've interviewed him several times before and love his writing and he's uh, he's pretty direct. And so you're going to hear a lot of good things today about what's going on in banking and uh, and uh, a welcome, Ron. We're glad to have you again. Thanks for having me back, Jack. You know, since we've talked, uh, Cornerstone has expanded and and good for you and a lot of good businesses do. Talk about some of the things that you do now in 2024 to help banks. Uh, I think we do a lot. I think part of uh, our, our main focus is to get them strategically aligned and focused on the things they should be doing um, and how that intersects with technology. Uh, and sometimes that's not even about technology because we help a lot from an economic perspective with uh, contract negotiation and renegotiation. Uh, and sometimes it's not that technology focused because we're really looking at process, uh, business processes and helping them benchmark and understand how they uh, mat, uh, match up to, to the rest of the uh, industry and their peers. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of what we're doing is really in the focus of you know, how can they make better use of technology to protect and grow their business. I was introduced to you uh, by another banker who said, you know, I get this Gonzo Banker newsletter, uh, and you really ought to read it. And I've started to reading it, read it, and every every edition that comes out, I, I I pour through. Talk about how that got started, and what is Gonzo Banker? Uh, so Gonzo Banker is basically Cornerstone's blog. Uh, it's been around for probably close to twenty years now. I've been at Cornerstone eight and a half, and it preceded me by a whole lot. In fact, it was kind of what attracted me to, to Cornerstone in the first place. I was a reader too. And the name comes from, uh, you know, the, the Hunter Thompson Gonzo journalism. Uh, one of Cornerstone's founders and our president is Steve Williams. He was actually a journalism major in school. And I think he was a big 
Hunter S. Thompson fan and a fan of the whole gonzo journalism, which which was about two things. It was about not just reporting the news, but being in the middle of the news and being in the middle of the action. And the second piece was about brutal honesty. And, uh, you know, I had started writing the snarketing blog a long time ago. Uh, I had kind of developed a bit of a reputation for being a truth teller. When I saw Cornerstone's blog, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have a, 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 you know, a, a fellow fellow truth teller. Um, so that's what we kind of really pride ourselves that, you know, we're we're not kissing up to anybody in the industry, uh, telling it the way it is. And um but with a strong hint and tinge of so what? It, it's not just enough to tell the world, look, this is what's happening. We want to tell them, look, here's here's the so what. Yeah, that that's important. You know, there are a lot of people out there that rant and 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 they just go on to hear themselves talk or write. You actually have some action plans at the end of of articles that could kind of help. Okay, here are some step by step things that you can do. Well, we're going to talk about. I like uh, I like to rant too, though, Jack. I just want to make everybody clear. I, I like to rant too. Yeah, and you're going to today, I'm sure. Based uh, on great. We want to talk about. Uh, but but your ranting is one thing. Uh, uh, boxing is another. And and I'm just fascinated when I when I went to your profile, uh, and and I looked at your background. You have boxing gloves with your name on it. There must be a story there. There is a company in Minnesota. There's actually a town in Minnesota called Shevlin, Minnesota, and the name of the, the this there was this company. They are no longer around, but they made boxing gloves and boxing equipment, and uh, they put Shevlin on it. And when I saw that picture, I thought, what better way to kind of, you know, let people know, hey, this is Shevlin's page, but also to kind of convey the notion, hey, you got a problem with me? Let, let let's. <laughs> You know, you don't like something I said, let me know. Uh, I'm not looking for a physical fight, but happy to get into a, a discussion or an argument uh, on things. I don't think, Jack, we we argue enough about, about things. And uh, I'm not arguing to prove I'm right. I'm arguing to find out what's the truth, what's the reality. If all you're ever doing is coming to your conclusion of reality based on your own thoughts and processes, you're missing out on something. you got to hear other people. So I think the boxing gloves to me kind of symbolic. Come on, fight with me. Argue with me. Tell me what you think. I really do want to hear it. Made by bankers for bankers, Vertical IQ is your trusted source for reliable, convenient, and focused industry intelligence, helping your team save time, boost sales, and gain a competitive edge. Learn more at verticaliq.com. One of the interesting fights that, that's going on now is mergers and acquisitions. Um, it's, are there, are there a lot of mergers going on? Is it a merger of equals? Are big banks going to start getting involved? What What's your take on the kind of the tenor or the outlook for 2024 around mergers? You, you're pretty well on top of this. Yeah, I think there's a lot more optimism and interest in mergers. In fact, um, I say I think I kind of say I should say I know by the data. We just published our annual what's going on in banking report. We ask about mergers and acquisitions. Uh, funny thing is, is I didn't actually put it in the report this year. I cut it out to streamline the report a bit. But there's a lot more optimism in the industry about um, the, the, the environment being ripe for mergers 
But that's, Jack, the sort of the operational and financial view. There's a huge issue with mergers and acquisitions in the industry because we have a, a government whose uh, policies towards banking is not particularly favorable to the industry. And they're doing a lot to slow down even the most mundane mergers that are going on. So there's a bit of a rock and a hard place in the merger world right now. A lot of interest in, in merging, gaining scale through mergers, gaining operational efficiencies, uh, but a regulatory environment that is just flat out not, not very um, friendly towards mergers and acquisitions in the banking world. And, and that certainly hurts because when you have two banks a TD and a First Horizon, as an example, and there's probably a lot of reasons why that didn't go through. The customers hear about it. The employees hear about it. There's all kinds of turmoil around it. Um, and that's true of two community banks that might merge. And now because of the government regulations, it's taking longer and longer. And I got to believe, Ron, and you're in, in, into this every day, that this has got to affect the way customers look at banks and and what they're are they going to do more business with either of those banks and how employees look at their future this has got to be a very emotional long term time for people when two mergers are starting to come together here yeah let me tie this into something else jack if you would let me you know for the past what 25 years there's been this huge focus on customer experience customer experience um i published my predictions post a few weeks ago, and I said, man, I'm sick and tired here about customer experience. It's time we started hearing about employee experience. because, And the employee experience is not just about taking good care of employees. It's about their operational um, environment and the technologies and tools. You go into a typical bank, and most employees are using, I don't know, four to 12 different systems now, my point of bringing this in and tying it back to what you're saying is that um, the ability for employees to provide good customer service when their own technology environment is messed up is hard enough. Now, factor into the fact there's this uncertainty about jobs, uh, uncertainty about the future. How good is how how good is their customer service going to be? How good is their motivation going to be? The the more these things get dragged out. The uh, the poor, not just the employee experiences, but that's having a uh, I think a negative impact on the on the customer experience as well. And and you were all over this uh, uh, recently because you were out at the acquire or be acquired uh, uh, conference. Obviously, there's a lot of talk around mergers and acquisitions there, maybe how to do it and things like that. But talk about the other things. Talk about some of the tangential things that you heard out there at the conference. Yeah, um, it's interesting that this was the 30th year of acquire or be acquired, often referred to as AOBA. Um, and oh, when it was started 30 years ago, it was very narrowly focused on acquisitions and mergers and bringing together bankers who were looking to buy other banker, banks and bankers uh, who were looking to be acquired. But over the 30 years, it has really evolved to be just an industry conference. And a lot of the focus this year was on deposits and deposit gathering. Uh, I don't. I, there must have been at least six different sessions about deposit gathering. Another six on uh, artificial intelligence and how that's going to impact the industry. 
Uh, and then a few of the, the really smart folks actually married deposit gathering and AI together in their presentations. So very heavy on AI and deposit gathering. Uh, and I think the third thread I'd kind of throw out there as a, a major theme of the report was um, the lending environment and how to, you know, how to how to grow that a bit more than than what we're seeing today. Yeah, interesting. Well, you talk about the lending environment, the deposit environment. That's going to vary depending on what's going on in the, in the economy. Certainly, year to year. Uh, back in 2015, you wrote a book called Smarter Bank. And I noticed a post recently on LinkedIn that you kind of brought it up as almost it's the ninth anniversary and things like that. Uh, boy, a lot of things have changed, Ron, in, in those nine years. And we certainly don't have time to, to recap them all. I'm curious about one thing that kind of you, you wrote about in 2015 that's still extremely viable today. Oh, that's that's a, that's a question? I thought you were yeah. going to tell me the, what, what it was you saw in the oh, book. I know. Oh, that was oh, still God, relevant. No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so a lot of has changed. I think we were kind of uh, early on in seeing the changes in behavior. So that's been more evolutionary. But Jack, I'll tell you the, the one thing or maybe two things I think that have not changed in nine years is I think a lot of the in a lot of in the book, I was really trying to harp on the importance of data and the ability to use data to drive a lot of decisions and you know, have a better view of both the customers, the the your own organization, the industry, where things were going. Um, you know, I think as consultants, you know, people just look at this and go, yeah, you just want to make money off of us to, you know, get our data and stuff. But, you know, nine years ago I was arguing, look, you, you really got to get this in place. Um, and part of the reason, Jack, is because as we've seen the explosion in technology, and especially and small business, consumer in particular, you know, one of the things that I think most bankers are a little bit deceived or deluded about is that they think, well, yeah, oh, let me give you this example. I got a call from a buddy of mine about a year and a half ago. He works at one of the big uh, core vendors. And he said, Ron, we just did some research I think you're going to be really interested in. We found that the average consumer has six to eight financial relationships. I said, dude, do not go public with that data. You are off by an order of magnitude of six to eight. Consumers under the age of 40, even 45, have 30 to 40 relationships. They might only have 10 or 12 accounts, but they're using tools to manage their credit scores. They're manage, using tools to analyze their bills. They're using tools to do automated deposits and savings and investments. They're using all these different tools and those are relationships. We're, Jack, do you do you go to Starbucks? Yes. You have your Starbucks app? Yep. Money on it? Yep. That's a financial relationship. Okay, Panera, CVS, how many apps you've got for all these things? And we're using Venmo and Zelle and PayPal and all these others and those are all financial relationships. And so, I'm not sure I could go back and say, see, I predicted that. I said this was going to happen. But but it was early on. And the, the issue, Jack, comes back to data. If you don't know your customers, where their relationships are and where the money is coming in and going out from, you, you don't know your customer. Um, and I don't mean that from a regulatory perspective. I mean it from a business perspective. 
Uh, and that is very true, both from a consumer and in particular these days, small business perspective. So uh, I think, you know, I was harping a lot about data back then and, you know, the, the, the behaviors of consumers of using technology. I'm, I think I got it. I think I was at least on the right track nine years ago. Yeah, and it's only expanded. And and certainly we can talk more about that, as you mentioned, AI. But I want to go back to your banking 2024 report. Um, I I love that you that you look forward. You're a very forward to think uh, looking guy, thinking guy, uh, and, and it's really helped the industry a lot. Talk about what you see going forward in 2024. A few of the snippets of the banking 2024 report. The theme, Jack of the 2024 report actually plays off of the theme of the 2023 report, which was riding uh, the facing the headwinds, riding the tailwinds. And the idea back at the beginning of 2023, and the, the cover picture was a, a guy on a, on a boat in the sea with the waves and, you know, didn't know which direction he was going to be taken. And I think that's even, even though that was published before the whole SVB crisis and all, all of that, the idea was that, you know, there were some economic headwinds, but there were a lot of technology developments that were tailwinds pushing the industry. For 2024, the theme of the report is finding the next wave to ride. And the idea was that, well, okay, the storms of 2023 have pushed financial institutions into a windless cove. And now they're like, okay, where do we go from here? And I think that kind of captures it. Jack, listen, I've been an analyst for 27 years, I've been in this financial services industry for focused on it for 25 years. Um, for a long time, I've gone into banks and credit unions and said, look, the world is changing. You've got to change. And they've often looked at me and go, hey, we're doing really well. We'll ride it out. And no more in the 25 years I've focused on banking and worked with banks and credit unions, I think this is the first time I'm, I'm really seeing banks and credit unions come to me and say, we really need to hone and develop a new strategy for the future. The strategy of, yeah, we, you know, our people are great and we provide great service, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. It, they're finally recognizing it doesn't cut it. They can't prove that their people are better. They can't prove that their service is better. And in fact, they're actually really struggling to find and hire people. So I think the idea was that what's the next wave to ride from a strategy perspective, from a technology perspective? You may have your strategy in order, but what's the new AI technology or uh, you know the, the new tech, the other technologies you're going to use to propel you and ride that wave? With the idea, Jack, that waves end fairly quickly. So. After this next two to three year wave that gets us through 2024, 2025, and maybe into 2026, what's next? Is, is blockchain there? You know, is are we really now mature with AI? Um, do we have autonomous everything out in the world? How's that going to impact banking and insurance and all these types of things? So I think you got to kind of refocus, you know, the I think most businesses don't, you know, gotten off of the seven to 10 year business plan. Even three, three to five years might be too long, but one year is not long enough. You, you got to have a, you think of it as a wave that you're riding. You're going to wave it, ride it for a while, but then you're going to start looking for the next wave. Uh, and this might be a little bit inspired by the fact that my wife and I got a chance to go out to Hawaii for the first time last month. We were watching the guys, you know, sitting, sitting in the water, waiting for that next wave to ride. 
Are you a commercial or business banker looking to build relationships with small and mid-sized companies? RelPro is a business development and relationship management solution being used by bankers to find new prospects, learn more about them, and keep tabs on them as well as your existing customers. Want to learn more? Go to RelPro.com to schedule a demo today. It's interesting. Well, one of the waves that the banks are trying to ride and avoid being knocked off their board is, is AI. And you've mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, at a recent banking school I did, it's about 190 kids in a class. And I said, how many of you are able to use chat GPT at the office? And two, two raised their hand. Um, this is not going away. I'm curious what you're seeing about community banks, especially, and how they're allowing their people to use AI as part of the process. And, and if they are, you know, how do you get around the risk and all the other things that, that could happen? Okay, Jack, let's start with terminology. We have a term. What we've got here is a failure to communicate, to uh, quote that Paul Newman, uh, even though he didn't say that in the movie. But we've got a problem with terminology, Jack. The problem is, is that up until November of 2022, we in the industry use the term AI too generically to, to encompass a wide range of technologies. Then ChatGPT was introduced, the term generative AI became very popular, and it flip-flopped and became the umbrella term. Not everything in AI is generative AI, and AI technologies are actually very different. Machine learning is very different than conversational AI, which is very different than generative AI, which is very different from robotic process automation. And then you get into a bunch of things that are AI that aren't even really that uh, pertinent in banking, like you know, visioning and things like that. So ChatGPT is, is an example of generative AI. Generative AI is nothing more, Jack, nothing more than AI technology that generates an output. That output can be text, voice, music, art, code. It produces an output. The people, people are getting all worked up. Oh, generative AI is biased. No, that's machine learning that produces lending decisions that could be biased or have biased decisions. And by the way, machine learning and AI isn't biased. It's the data that goes into it that drives the, the, the biasedness, if I can quote that, you know, craft a word there. So it isn't the technology that's biased, it's the data. And if we've been biased as humans in our decision-making, especially in lending, because the data we've been given is biased. So it isn't the technology um, that is biased. And this is why there's this you know, why we have so many problems in dealing with this. Any bank that is limiting its people's use of chat GPT or other things like BARD or other programs like that, Jack, those people are crazy. Um, not only should they be encouraging the use, but developing and giving them some guidelines for the use. Jack, I'm not going to try to guess how old you are. And I, my wife always gets pissed off when I let people know how old I am. <laughs> but I was fond of saying last year in presentations that chat GPT was to 19, it was to 2023, what Lotus 123 was to 1983 when it came out. Now, the problem is you got a lot of people under the age of 40 who go, what was Lotus 123? 
Right. Okay. It was the predecessor to Microsoft Excel. Oh, it was a spreadsheet. I got it. But when Lotus 123 came out, um, the level of productivity in a lot of people rose because now they had a tool to automate calculations, but they, they used it for word processing. People used it to do keep lists and databases. You could not predict what people were going to do with it, but it made them more productive. Jack, this is exactly what ChatGPT and a lot of these generative AI tools promise, is to make you more productive. But just like in 1983, when these spreadsheets came out, nothing's perfect. And the problem was people hard-coded calculation errors into spreadsheets. They didn't document their, their spreadsheets. There was very little consistency in the look and feel of spreadsheets across the organization. And we need to learn the lessons of Lotus 123 in 1983 in 2023 and 2024 now, that there needs to be some guidelines. If you're going to use ChatGP, that's fine, but you need to document what your prompts were um, and keep track of these things. So there's some there's some paper trail, if you will, uh, to go back and understand. You also need to have some training. Instead of Instead of disencouraging the use, they should be encouraging the use and say, hey, let me you know, teach you how to do prompts and prompt engineering. It's ridiculous, Jack. That there are people out there who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars holding themselves out as prompt engineers. Uh, they're going to go the, by the, the same wayside that uh, the webmasters went back in the late 90s. Remember that? Everybody had to have a webmaster. Um, that's going to be gone in a year or two because people's skills will increase. Uh, the the bottom line, and I keep preaching this to the industry and to any bank or credit union that will give me a chance to tell them is that you need to be encouraging your use of these generative AI tools because they are productivity enhancers. That is the game here, Jack. It is about productivity enhancement and speed. Uh, you know, my wife gets on my case. She goes, hey, you haven't published a blog post in a while. Why don't you just ask ChatGPT to do it for you? because it won't do as good a job. But what it can do for me and can do for anybody else is get me to a certain stage faster than I could if I just sat there with a blank piece of paper. So I, I've got, give me, I know I'm ranting. See, I told you I'd be ranting at some point Love here. Love it. Um, got a buddy who works at a technology company here in the Boston area. He said, Ron, I've got to show you what my intern is doing. She looks at, uses your blog posts and posts to identify the key trends in the industry, then ask ChatGPT to, you know, write a certain amount and then applies, you know, interviews us to, to, to hone the article so it is not just a total ripoff. But, a, but this is a 23, 24-year-old intern with no experience in the industry, and she is pulling together really good content using ChatGP tools, not just to generate and write the article, but to identify what are the key trends that she should be writing about, and then bringing it to the you know the, the experts in her company to kind of shape it, form it. They don't have to write it. I mean, this is about speed, Jack. It is about getting. You know how long it would have taken her? She had to sit down and write it on her own. It would take forever. Yeah, and uh, she had no knowledge about banking, and that would never have changed. Right, that right. and now she gets a lot better knowledge about this. But there are so many tools and plugins. I don't know if you remember back in the day, there were all these plugins for Lotus One, Two, Three, and similar with Chat GPT. 
things like AutoGPT that automate the whole process of doing something. Go take a look at South State Bank. I haven't seen any bank that does as great a job of using generative AI tools. Uh, you got to get Chris Nichols from South State on your on your show. Um, he's absolutely brilliant. One of my favorite guys in the industry. Uh, and he's also a great writer, by the way. If you, you should be write, reading what uh, he's been writing. But he talks about what South State is doing and how it experiments. Now, here's the thing. These tools aren't perfect. There's still a lot of hallucinations and errors because the data it goes in. So, you know, you can't just turn over your, you know, your marketing world to chat GPT, but it can get you to a point in the process faster than you ever could have imagined the technology would have helped you do that. Well, you, you, and you're certainly right about Chris. Uh, everybody I could talk to in the industry, I told them they got to follow Chris. And I was very honored uh, the first blog of the year, Chris and I were able to co-author a, a blog about books that people should be reading. And he he is definitely on the show, for sure. Uh, he's already scheduled. So he's, you're, you're right about that. So I got we're running out of time. I want to ask you one more question. You, you've talked about out at the conference, the most recent conference you were at, that um, uh, deposits obviously was a big deal. Well, to me, deposits and treasury management are so, are so intertwined. I'm curious, and if you want to go on a rant about this, that's great, because I, I always do when I talk to banks. We do not have enough uh, uh, people in treasury management. The gearing ratio is way out of whack. You've got 10 commercial lenders for one treasury management person. Treasury management people are not proactive. They know where the deposits are. Let's get them out and do, do some prospecting. I'm curious, when you talk to community banks, what's their take on treasury management and what's your take on it? Uh, I, I think most bankers are just tactful and politically smart enough not to kind of diss and downplay treasury management, uh, especially, well, well, if we're talking small business for small business or for mid-market, for the largers, I don't think there's any any downplaying of the importance of that. Um, but I think and on the small business, yeah, they talk about it, but I'm not sure they're really giving it the attention they should. Jack, I think the, the primary issue is really a cultural and organizational one here. Um, most banks, most community banks, um, maybe I shouldn't use the word most, many for sure. I don't, I'm not sure what percentage are just so solely focused on lending that they look at the other functions in the organization, lines of business, as just feeders for lending. If they even do that, uh, secure, for sure, you know, they look, many look at retail as just bring me deposits. Uh, and to a certain extent, I think they may be looking at the treasury management side of the business as, you know, okay, do what you do, but, you know, we need the deposits to feed, you know, our lending business. And they don't look at it as a sort of a standalone profit generator or attractor to to the bank. And I think this is part of the, the problem. Uh, and so the issue becomes, Jack, you want to grow your business. Uh, you're a banker. You want to grow your business. You know the money. The profits are really driven by lending. Uh, how much money can you really afford? You, you know, you, you've got a certain amount of money to grow the business. And I can't tell you how many times in strategic planning meetings and board meetings I hear, well, we just need a guy out in that region. We need a guy. 
Uh, and it's not a sexist thing. It, it could be a woman, but the, you know, we need somebody out there. They don't think, gee, if we grew our treasury management business and differentiated it, we could attract more small and mid-sized businesses who would then be more likely to do business with us. And by the way, there's a lot of logic to that because if we, you, do you know why people borrow money, Jack? To spend it. Most people don't borrow money and have it sit. They borrow it to spend. Now, if I know what you're spending your money on, I have a better understanding of what you might need to borrow. So instead of waiting for that loan application to come in, I might be able to, as a treasury management person, say, man, Jack, your, your cash flow is starting to look like this. You know, let's let's get a line of credit in here or do something and be more proactive. Jack, I think the smarter bankers that in the community bank area that that I'm seeing are those that have understood and recognized that they have a huge, huge opportunity by integrating their products and services into these vertical SaaS applications. Almost every business, whether it's small business, mid-sized business, uses technology that is industry-specific. Um, you and I are fortunate. We still have our hair. We, uh, we, 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 we schedule that hair appointment, and we get a text message confirming that. That text message is not coming from the beauty parlor or salon. It's coming from a company like Vargara, I think it's called, that is a vertical SaaS application that many beauty salons use. They, they haven't figured out how to use text and stuff. No, they're using a vertical SaaS application that runs their business. And more and more bankers and the, the vertical SaaS application companies are learning, hey, we could do a lot more to integrate banking services into our applications, it's a win-win for everybody. It drives more utilization of the system. Bankers have a new distribution channel. And by the way, if you ever looked at Square, now called Block, it's exactly what they've been doing in the retail space for the past 10 years. So it's about distribution channels, Jack, and expanding distribution. And there's a way for banks to really kind of grow their business by embedding the treasury management capabilities into the applications that prospective customers and their own customers and clients are already using today. So I told you at the beginning that you were going to get some brilliant ideas that were actionable from somebody who forgot more in this industry than a lot of people know. Um, if you're a community bank, um, get Ron in to talk to your board. Uh, I know a lot of banks that have done that. It's it's just a phenomenal eye-opener. Uh, if you're a community bank, a mid-sized bank, Cornerstone Advisors does a lot of tremendous things. So given all that, how do how do people get a hold of you, Ron? Uh, best place to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. Just look up Ron Shevlin um, or uh, email. The easiest email for me is ron.shevlin at gmail.com. Uh, or look up uh, FinTech Snark Tank, and uh, that'll find me, I'm sure, in, in a hurry. And I don't think anybody else is tied to the, the the words FinTech and Snark in this industry like I am. Um, or go to LinkedIn, look for Ron Shevlin, and look for the boxing gloves, and you'll know you're, you're on the right profile. Ron Shevlin, thanks so much for uh, giving us your time today. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me back and giving me this uh, rant platform. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Jack Grants with Modern Bankers with my great guest, Ron Shevlin. This and every program is brought to you by our friends at Vertical IQ and WellPro. Join us next time for more special guests bringing you marketing, sales, and leadership insights, as well as lots of ideas that will provide your bank or credit union that competitive edge you need to succeed. This LinkedIn Live show is also a podcast. Subscribe and get the latest editions of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers, and please leave us a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and others. Visit our website too. It's themodernbanker.com for lots more information about what we do and how we help bankers. And don't forget to sign up for that free public library at themodernbanker.com slash public library. And don't forget also, make today and every day a great client day.